We're in 1 Kings chapter 17, and uh, the title of this morning's message is God's Representative. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word with your people. Lord, I pray that you would just impress thoughts upon my mind and put thoughts in my heart, Lord, that would minister grace to the hearers, Lord, that you would go beyond my preparation or education and that you would remove distractions from us so that we can receive the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. Be glorified in our midst through your word, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's representative. I would like for us to study this episode in Elijah's life and highlight some of his character trait. Consequently, I'm going to share four of those characteristics. And it's my hope that in doing so, we might find instruction and inspiration to live out our faith in a more vibrant and effective way. Elijah has a very interesting name, so I would like to start by defining his name. His name is the Hebrew word Elijah, which literally translated means God of God. It is the word El, which it is one of the words that is used to refer to God and the abbreviation Jah, which is often translated God or Lord. His name carries the idea of one who follows God or one who is a representative of God. And so as we look at his character traits, I want to remind those of us who have accepted Christ that we too are representatives of God. In a sense, we are all ambassadors for Christ. We are the body of Christ. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul said that, for I am an ambassador of Christ. One of the things that makes Elijah's life so interesting is that the Bible teaches us that he was taken up to heaven alive. We have no record of his death. Then after hundreds of years, he reappears briefly at the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses as he's talking with Jesus. And you can find that account in Matthew chapter 17. Finally, Elijah is the subject of one of the most interesting prophecies of the Old Testament, which is found in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. And I will read that for us. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. This is an interesting prophecy because it is the very last prophecy of the Old Testament before what scholars refer to as the 400 years of silence. When you look at this prophecy at glance, it seems to indicate that God will send the prophet Elijah before he sends judgment upon the earth. And hopefully, most of you are familiar with Elijah's story and with many of the things that he did. But what makes this prophecy so interesting is the things that Jesus said about John the Baptist. In speaking of John the Baptist, he said these words in Matthew chapter 11, verse 14. And if you are willing to receive it, he, meaning John the Baptist, is Elijah who was to come. In essence, Jesus taught that John the Baptist was a fulfillment of the Malachi 4-5 prophecy. 
Jesus said, if you are willing to receive it, John the Baptist is Elijah that was to come. Then in Matthew 17, verses 10 through 12, Jesus again confirms that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Malachi. In verse 10, we read, and his disciples asked him, saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must first come? Jesus answered and said unto them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say unto you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but they did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Luke chapter 1, verse 17, also speaking of John the Baptist, says this, he will also go before him, Jesus, in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers toward the children and the disobedient to wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, whether or not we will have another character reappear in the spirit of Elijah before the judgment is yet to be seen. Scholars differ in opinion when it comes to that aspect of the Malachi 4-5 prophecy. Now that we understand why Elijah is such a significant character in the Bible, let's dive into the word and see what God has for us there in 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be not dew nor rain these years except at my word. The prophet appears almost suddenly in the scriptures, and we are not given much information about his background or his family history. Yet we do know that God used him powerfully and God used him significantly. Isn't it wonderful to know that whether or not people know your background, that God can use you? If you are here today and you are thinking that God can't use you because of your past, I want you to remove that thought from your mind. If you are here today and you are thinking that God can't do something significant in your life because nobody knows you, I want you to remove that thought from your mind. If you are here and you are wondering whether or not God can use you because people may or may not know you, please remove that thought from your mind because God can be glorified in your life. If you have a resume, God can use you. If you don't have a resume, God can use you. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God doesn't have to consult with your history to be glorified in your life. God doesn't consult with your past to use you in the present or the future. God doesn't need to have a board meeting with your resume to decide whether or not he is going to be glorified in your life. When God gets ready to move in your life, there is no force in this life or in the life to come that can stop God from being glorified in your life. 
For the Bible says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other thing created shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm here to tell you that God wants to be glorified in your life. And when he gets ready to be glorified in your life, he doesn't consult with your past or check your resume whether you have one or not. All right, now. Elijah, thank you for that one, amen. <laughs> Elijah appears before King Ahab and he says, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. He informs the king that there's not going to be any rain or dew unless he says so. Now, Elijah doesn't do this out of arrogance. He's not doing this because he is trying to impress the king with his prophetic powers. No, 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 no. He does this because he wants God to be glorified. And this is the first characteristic of a representative of God. Number one, a rep God's representative seeks to glorify God. In order to understand this more thoroughly, we have to look at other passages of Scripture, like 1 Kings 18, 36 and 37, where it says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, Lord. Hear me that this people might know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you. Isn't it interesting that he says, I have done all these things at your word? In James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, the Bible gives us a little bit more insight into Elijah's motivation when it says, Elijah was a man of like nature of ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave the rain, and the earth produced its fruit. In other words, Elijah prayed and ask God to bring a drought upon the land so that the people of Israel would turn back to God. The people of Israel had strayed from God and were steeped in idolatry. And Elijah has this desire to see the people return to God. So after God answers his prayer, he appears before Ahab and he lets him know that there will be no rain or no do. This drought would be so severe that it is what climate experts call an agricultural drought, meaning that it is so dry that there is no moisture in the atmosphere to create dew when the sun goes down and the earth cools. So we see, 
we see that the prophet Elijah had a heart to glorify God. But what does it mean to glorify God? Well, I am glad you asked. <laughs> it means to make the name of God known abroad. It means to make the name of God great. To glorify God means to draw attention to God in such a way that it brings honor and praise to him. Elijah wanted to draw the national attention back to God. Elijah wanted to bring honor and glory to God. He wanted the people to give God the honor and attention due to his name. This is why Elijah goes to the leader of the nation, King Ahab. Now, hopefully, we are all trying to glorify God in our personal lives. And we do this by growing in our faith and bearing fruit. Jesus said in John 15, 8, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. And this is one way we can glorify God in our personal lives. And it should start there. Let me say in passing, if you are here today and you have not asked Jesus to come into your life and be your personal savior, it is the best decision that you will ever make. And to ask Jesus into your life because the Bible teaches us that we were born sinners and that we within our own strength cannot meet the righteous requirements of God, which is perfection and therefore God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for the sins of the world to pay the penalty for my sin and for your sin and he was buried and placed in a tomb and rose from the dead on the third day and is now ascended unto heaven where he will come back one day and if you believe that truth and you can repent of your sins the bible says that you are saved and if you have not done that today, I hope that you will do that today. And this is one way that we can glorify God in our personal lives. Then there is another level of glorifying God. This is when we seek for God to be glorified through our lives to bring glory and praise to his name, which prompts me to ask some questions for self-reflection. In your estimation. Is God worthy to be glorified in your sphere of influence? If so, do you seek to glorify God in your sphere of influence? If not, why not? Ask yourself, what are some of the ways I can bring glory to God in my circles of influence? Another way God can be glorified through our lives is by doing the work he has called us to do. Now, this will take effort, this will take diligence, and this will take purposefulness. I'm going to be honest with you. There are times when seeking for God to be glorified through our lives can cause us pain. It's true. There are times when Glorifying God in our lives can cause our souls to be troubled. 
Jesus said it this way in John chapter 12, verses 27 through 29. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose and for this hour I have come. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus was troubled because he knew that fulfilling the work of God will cost him a great price. Yet, he says, Father, glorify your name. Jesus wanted his purpose in life to glorify God. He wanted the work that he did to bring glory to God. Now, there is obviously a degree of difficulty here because he says, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Save me from this hour. Yet we understand that the Father is glorified, be glorified, excuse me, because he responds by saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. God responds to Jesus with an audible voice. And even though everybody heard it, not everybody understood it. This is the point that God chose to glorify himself in the life of his son publicly. You know, there are many wonderful traits I admire about my wife, and I'm going to put her on blast here a little bit. But one of the traits that I admire about her is this trait that she wants to glorify God in her life. She lost her mother at age eight and then her father at age nine. Her Parents were very loving and very involved in her life. And she went from that situation to living with relatives where she was exposed to abuse and neglect. But she did not allow those things to discourage her or derail her. If not, she chose to work hard and glorify God in her life. She's up to this point, earned a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and most recently an EDS endorsement. She has been 10 years in the field of education where she uses her experience to tell students that it's not where they start, but it's where they end. Right. The prophet Ecclesiastes said it best when he said, the end of the thing is better than the beginning. Like I said, there are times that glorifying God can be painful. So I want to encourage you not to allow the pain of the past or the pain of the present or possibly the pain of the future to keep you from allowing God to be glorified in your life. Because even though allowing God to be glorified in our lives can be painful, the rewards far exceed the pain and the frustration we might experience. Again, the first character trait as God's representatives that we seek to glorify God. Let's see what else we can learn from this story. Take a look at verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here, 
and turn eastward and hide by the brook of Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And, I, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For, for he stayed in the brook of Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a little while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Sarepta, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Sarepta. In these verses, we see that God instructs Elijah to go to a brook so that he would have water. Then God promises him that he will send him breakfast and dinner through the ravens. Now, this is a very interesting miracle that God would choose ravens to bring him breakfast and dinner because these birds are considered scavengers. They eat flesh, fruit, grain, or any type of dead animals. They have no dietary restrictions. <laughs> and yet, these birds brought the prophet breakfast and dinner every day until the brook dried up. Now, this is an interesting part of the narrative right here, that the brook dried up. You see, the brook didn't dry up because Elijah was disobedient. The brook didn't dry up because Elijah was in the wrong place at the wrong time. The brook didn't dry up because the prophet Elijah neglected to do something. The brook dried up because there was a severe drought and the brook just dried up. Sometimes... We try to find meaning in things that have no meaning. We live in a fallen and sinful world. And sometimes things just dry up. Relationships can dry up. Jobs can dry up. Businesses can dry up. Churches can dry up. These things happen not necessarily because you did something wrong, but because sometimes people do things that are outside of your control or things and circumstances happen that are outside of your control and things dry up. After this, God speaks to Elijah and he gives him instruction to go to a widow's house in Sarepta, for he has ordained her to sustain him. And verse 10 says, so he arose and went to Sarepta. The man of God obeys the instruction of the Lord. There was a drought, but he still obeyed God. The brook dried up. But he still obeyed God. The ravens would not be bringing him home delivery. But he still obeyed God. His circumstances changed by no design of his own. But he still obeyed God. 
he was going to have to make some adjustments. But he still obeyed God. He obeys the word of God even in the midst of adverse circumstances. And here's the next, next characteristic I want to highlight from God's representative. Number two, he was obedient in the midst of adversity. As the representatives of God, we are called to be obedient even when adversity hits. Several years ago, I read a book by uh, Brian and Cheryl Brodison. As many of you might know, Brian Brodison is the pastor of uh, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And in this book, uh, Cheryl, his wife, tells the story of a lady who was married to a man for 50 years prior to his passing. And as she tells the story, uh, for the first 40 years of their marriage, uh, she was praying for him. And this guy was very grumpy. He was very uh, reckless with his words. But after 40 years, he had an encounter with the Lord. And he became the most graceful, sweetest man you will ever know. And the lady said this, the last 10 years of our marriage were worth the 40 years that I prayed. The Bible said it this way in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat of the good of the land. Yes. The last sermon of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a sermon called, I Have Been to the Mountaintop. Yes. In this sermon, he reflects upon his own mortality. He says... He, Every man wants longevity of life. Every man wants a long life. Longevity has its place. But he says, it doesn't matter with me now. I just want to do God's will. What a concept that even in the face of death threats, which he was killed shortly after that, he wanted to do the will of God. And Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 tells us, Be faithful unto death, and you shall receive the crown of life. A.W. Tozer once said, and I quote, We can be in our day what the heroes of faith were in their day. But remember, at the time, they didn't know that they were heroes. End quote. The Bible says it this way. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you might inherit the promise. What a testimony, what a power, what a joy when we can find grace to be obedient to God, even in the face of opposition, persecution, trials, or tribulation. Just like Elijah, who followed God's word, even though it was not the most convenient thing for him to do. Now let's finish reading our story and then we'll bring this message to a close. Let's pick up our reading there at the second sentence in verse number 10. And when he, he had came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks and he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I might drink. 
And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I might go and prepare it for myself and my son that we might eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward make some for you and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. After Elijah leaves the brook of Cherith, he arrives to Sarepta. But he's faced with a widow who is down to her last meal. And he encourages her not to be afraid and to be obedient to the word of the Lord. And this is the third and the last characteristic I want to highlight. Number three, God's representative encourages the faith of others. As God's representatives, we are charged to encourage the faith of others, even in hard times. Mm -hmm. This widow, in essence, was preparing her last meal. This was her last supper. So that she and her son can experience the famine. And in her mind, they were just going to die. Of starvation. And here comes Elijah the prophet with good news to her, saying, This is what the Lord says. And he encouraged her to be obedient to the word of the Lord. Now, remember, before Elijah left the brook of Cherith, God said to him, I have commanded this widow to sustain you. And so he already had a word from the Lord. And so he encourages the widow that says, listen, you be obedient to what God says, even in the midst of adversity. And so he encourages her faith during hard times. And reading this story, I am thinking about my former wife. And some of you may know my story. In 2015, my former wife, Tracy, she died of cancer. And she, the last six months of her life was in chronic pain, and the last six weeks of her life was in severe pain. And she uh, went into, she went to church, I think, for the last two or three weeks uh, of her life. Uh, many people in our congregation did not know that she had cancer because she had gone to the leaders and we had the leaders pray, pray with us and the elders anoint us with oil. But she did not want people to know. It was her choice and I supported her. So many people in the congregation did not know that she had cancer. Her thing was she did not want people to look at her through the eyes of cancer. She did not want people to treat her differently because she had cancer. 
And I remember seeing her being in severe pain, going up to the front to pray for people because after services, she was part of the prayer ministry. We would go and she would pray. And there were times where I would have to help her to her feet. And during the fellowship time, people would hug her and I would see her grimace because she was in pain. And yet she was on the last leg of her life praying for people to be healed, praying for people's marriages to be restored. She was encouraging the faith of others even when she was dying. There is a story in a book that I read. And the name of the book is Healing Your Marriage When Trust is Broken. This is book is written by a lady named Cindy Beal. And in the, in the book, she tells a story about her husband who was a pastor. He was a praise and worship pastor, had been in the ministry for a long time. And he had been having multiple affairs during his time of ministry. And they moved to this new church and they moved to, they, they, he'd taken a position in this church and they moved to, a, to a, a new house and they still had the boxes packed and the husband went to the staff meeting uh, the next day and uh, during the staff meeting the pastor starts talking about integrity and so he went home and confessed to his wife. And you can imagine the shock to find out that her pastor husband had been having multiple affairs. And so she went to spend some time with her mother where she sought counsel from the pastor of her mother's church. And the pastor said these words to her because she was struggling whether or not to stay with her husband. He said, Cindy, you can leave your husband and no one would blame you, not even God. He said, but you are not a fool to be a part of the redemptive work that God wants to do in that man's life. She stayed with her husband, and they now have a tremendous marriage ministry where they encourage other people. And I told you these stories to get this point across. It is about encouraging the faith of other people in our lives. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says it this way. Therefore, as you have the opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. What a powerful thing when we can allow our lives to be an encouragement to the faith of others. Let me close by way of review. Today we studied a chapter in Elijah's life, and we saw that he was a man who was God's representative. We also said that as the body of Christ, we too are the representatives of God. Then we saw that Elijah had some very powerful character qualities, and those character qualities are, number one, he wanted to glorify God. Number two, he was obedient in the midst of adversity. And number three, he encouraged the faith of others in the midst of their adversity. And may God help us to represent him and to further his kingdom and his message as we live out our faith as the representatives of God. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for the opportunity to share your word. And I pray that by the power of your spirit, as we enter into this time of ministry, that you would bring encouragement, that you would bring inspiration, that you would bring restoration where needed. Father, that you would bring strengthening where needed. Be glorified in the lives of your people. And if there is anyone here that needs 
to accept you. I pray, Father, that there where they sit, they might receive you. They, would, they might say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. And so, Lord, today, we yield to do to you and ask you to help us to be better representatives of your kingdom. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.